Thanks, Grant. I did meet my wife for the first time at a bar in Broadripple. It was the patio. It's now a hookah bar. It's a patio. Um, but she saw me, and in her heart, I guess that's when she met me at church before that. So both things are true at the same time. Um, it is really good to be with you guys today. Um, and I don't mean that like, you know, guest speaker coming, it's really good to be with you guys. Like, it's really been really good for me to be with you guys um, today. The, um, the worship and the spirit of God moving in this place uh, has just been a real blessing to me. Uh, so thank you, Brandon. Aren't you on a sabbatical? <laughs> so um, I, I'm pastoring a plant in Broad Ripple. We meet at Broad Ripple United Methodist Church. Everybody says, there's a Methodist church in Broad Ripple? Yes, um, the Kroger uh, in Broad Ripple. Just keep on going south of it in that building there. And um, they already met. They were texting me from there. Every, all is well. Stop texting me. Um, uh, but before that, uh, a few years back, I was pastoring a church um, over on Central. And um, I remember, what year was it that you guys were at Bethlehem Lutheran? In 2012, I remember hearing about a, a plant just down the street from us. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I was like, what's, I, I don't know how long you guys were there, and I reached out to somebody, what's going on with that church? Oh, they're not there anymore. Oh, you know, these things happen. Oh, now they're um, at the Oaks Academy. I was like, oh, that's near me, because um, I lived down by the Oaks Academy for a long time, Fall Creek, cool. Um, and then they're not there anymore, they're up at the Art Center. Were you guys, any, anybody here when they were at the Art Center? Um, and again, that was back near me, and uh, stalking is an ugly word, Brandon. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of moving around, and it was all sort of centered around me. Um, <coughs> and, um, and as I think about how God brought you guys to this place, and it's so cool that God brought you guys to this place, um, and what God has been doing as you have put down roots here, and as he has made a home for you guys, um, and as you guys have grown as a family, you have overflowed from this place, and the family has uh, increased not only to those churches that have the name of Soma, but other churches that you guys have helped to start. And, and you recognize that you are part of the larger um, family, but there's something about you on a personal level having a place that you can call home. Do you know what I mean? Um, and... That's what I want to talk about today, and it actually, it's not just something I wanted to talk about, it's actually in today's text. Um, I grew up with the King James Version, um, and that verse, in my father's house, what I learned, any King James folks here? Were you following along in the King James, any of you? In my father's house, there are many mansions, mansions, um, and Jesus was away for a long time, which means, and that was the sermon, that mansion must be really big that he's building for you. Um, and uh, there is much about this text that has to do with the place that Jesus has made for us. And I absolutely believe that he has a place for us beyond this life. Um, but I also believe that this morning's text has an awful lot to say to us about today. And a really reasonable translation of that verse is, in my father's home, there is much room. 
And that is a word of encouragement, and it's a word of comfort, and it's a word that I've needed to hear, especially in the last few years. Um, as Grant was telling our story, we've moved around a little bit. And as you move around, um, there's a sense of uh, maybe the thing that you've left behind and the thing that you're looking for, and you start to think about these sorts of questions. What is home? Or maybe more importantly, who is home? Um, before I speak anymore, I know we've prayed a few times. Can I pray specifically about this for us? Would that be okay? Father God, I thank you for my friends who are gathered here um, as a family, as your family, as part of your larger family, and I thank you for this space that, um, that you have granted to them that they could gather together and they could invite, invite others in to be a part of your family. And I pray that this morning we wouldn't just hear a, a sermon with some uh, interesting uh, notions or ideas, but we would truly be reminded that you are a good father, who has made the way home for us. And we thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for what you did <laughs> to make that possible. You yourself are the way. We thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago, but we also thank you that as we learn to walk with you today, we experience that life that you promised. Lord, I pray that for my friends and family here. I pray that for my Friends and family at, my, uh, at the church that I lead, I pray that for my own life and Holy Spirit. We pray that you would move us beyond just an intellectual understanding of these truths, that we would live in them for your glory, that others might come home as well. We pray it in the good name of Jesus. Amen. In many ways, I think that prayer was what I wanted to say. So um, uh, you guys could go to lunch now. Um, so... Four years ago, my family and I had been in the same house for a very long time. We lived near the Oaks Fall Creek, had raised our three kids there. All three kids had gone, um, I had a daughter in eighth grade, almost the way, all the way through the Oaks Academy. We'd been in the same church for well over 12 years, which is an unusual thing as a pastor. And there was a stability, there was a solidity, there was a family, there was a home. And, um, and then... God called us to continue on the journey with him. And in the last four years, my family and I have lived in seven places. Because I won't call all of them homes. They weren't actually all houses. Um, and as I, I think about our journey over the last couple of years, and actually as I, I've spoken to a few people here, I don't know if this is true of you, but I've spoken to a number of people who aren't from here, um, people who have moved, who themselves have been in motion, and you take home for granted until you don't have home, you know what I'm talking about? Um, I wonder, has anybody here moved of, of, of late? Like actually, you were living one place and you've moved to uh, another place. Uh, another question, is anybody here actually from Indianapolis? I know a few people are from Indianapolis, but anybody, uh, like show of hands, anybody from Indianapolis here? Yeah. That's not a lot of people, which means that you were someplace else and you've, you've come here. And as you're looking for a home, you start to think about what is home, or at least I have been. And, and, and I wonder for you, if uh, you have been in motion and moving to a new place, when you think about home, 
what are the sorts of images that come to mind? Um, because as we've learned, a house does not necessarily a home make. It can be a place where home happens. But what are some of the things that, that come to your mind when you hear the word home? Because I'm going to focus in on that image this morning. Anybody? People, yeah. What sorts of things are happening with those people? Let me just say this. Um, two things. <clears throat> One is, I have a history of coming down off the stage and being with people. Um, and I, I, Don't make me do that. Um, the second is, when, when I ask questions, feel free to respond. Um, what comes to your mind when you think about home? Yeah, people, family, what else? Yeah, stability. What else? Safety. Come on, come on. Security. And you got the specifics of music and what was over there? Comfort, yes. There might be the image of a table. This time of year, there's going to be a fireplace for me if it's a home, right? All of those things, though, without people and without people who care about you and without people who have your best interest in mind, without people who have an intentionality about you and your well-being, you don't have a home. We as, as people <laughs> were made to experience that. And the fundamental story of Scripture begins with a couple, and they have all of these things, not a roof over their head, they're in a garden, and they have that relationship with their father. And all is as it should be until they decide that they want to do things in their own way, and that is human history. And put out of the presence of a father who loves us, who wants to care for us, who wants to give us everything that, that, that we might need, and... And that is not just human history behind us, but left to our own devices, it's our own stories as well. You think about what is the thing that's behind so much of, of what we do and so many of, if I'm honest, the bad decisions that I make, it's that I'm searching for something, I'm searching for stability. And even for me as a pastor who knows God and has walked with him for a long time, there's always that question, is he trustworthy? Does he have my best interest in mind, we're looking for home somewhere else when there's only one place to find home. Jesus' followers, if your Bibles are open, and if you would look there, um, maybe back to, to even chapter 12 if your Bibles are open, have found home in Jesus. All of those things that we long for were true of the relationship that they had found in Jesus. And even though for three years they had been following after him, and when you think about Jesus um, and Jesus' house, he didn't have one. <laughs> when you think about like what stability looked like with Jesus, it was a very different sort of a stability. They had been following after Jesus. They'd been homeless for three years, not necessarily knowing where they were going to sleep any given night or where, where their next meal would come from. But what had they found in him? They had found all of these things. They had found home. And I wonder in their minds, in chapter 12, we see as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at the end of those three years, the guy that they'd been following after Initially, they thought he was a rabbi and a good teacher, and they'd come to know that there was something much deeper that was going on here, and they were very much hoping that he was, just as we sang, the king. 
And the particular sort of king that they were hoping for was the kind of king that was going to get rid of the Roman Empire. And so in they come to Jerusalem. And I wonder in the back of their minds is, have we finally come home? Yes, it's been good to be with Jesus, but now we're coming into Jerusalem now it looks like he's going to take over his kingship. Now finally, maybe we'll have some stability. And at the beginning of chapter 13, they're together around a table. It's an image of home. And they're sharing a meal that has great significance because what is the meal that they were sharing on that last night, that last supper, was a, pastor's in the front row, it was a, it was a Passover. And what's Passover about? about God's people away from the place that they're supposed to be and they're getting set free and they get to come back home and it's all right there. And I wonder in their minds after all these years of Jesus speaking in abstractions and parables and metaphors, finally he's going to get concrete, right? Finally he's going to tell us what it is that we're supposed to do. And guess what? He does. He gives them the strategic plan. And it's very specific. It's very concrete, but for 2,000 years, we've been struggling with it, because what does Jesus do? They have the meal, and afterwards, he takes off his outer garments, <laughs> and he gets a basin of water and a towel, and he starts to wash their feet. What's the plan, Jesus? What are we going to do? What are we supposed to do? Just tell us what we're supposed to do. I want you to do this. What? What are you talking about? No, this is it. This is the plan. <laughs> and he tells them this. I'm going to be betrayed. And he tells them this. I'm leaving. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of those probably for the most part young men who'd given up everything to follow after him, who'd put all their hope, had found their home in him. He's leaving. Peter says, I'm going with you. Maybe Peter was wondering, okay, even if he dies, I'm willing to die with you. I'm going with you, Jesus. And Peter speaks, Jesus speaks to Peter, and he speaks to his followers. And I think he speaks over all of us today. These three simple words. There's a lot to say about not only this passage that we just read, but it's part of a much bigger passage. Um, and uh, this is the second to the last of Jesus' I am statements. N next week, you're going to hear a little bit more about the fullness of what it means to experience Jesus as the way, as he says, I'm the vine and connect into me. But three things that I would love for us just to consider how they apply to our lives this morning and, and and three words the first one the first one's actually technically two words but give it to me fear not <laughs> what does Jesus say to Peter and what does he say to each one of us in the midst of the troubles and the uncertainty of life it's actually one of the most common things that's said in all of scripture and it's fear not <laughs> don't freak out because there's a reason that you might freak out. The first one is this. Second one is this. He says in, in the translation that we just read, you believe in the Father, believe in me as well. Believe, but I would maybe even say, and I'll give a nuance to it, trust. Fear not and trust me. Trust me? What does that mean? How do I do that? Well, 
Trust that I am the way and entrust your life to me as the way. And the third word is this, love. I'll get to them. First, fear not. They've been with Jesus and he's now going to leave. Their stability, their hope, their security, everything that it is that they've been, been pinning, what they were, were expecting God to do after everything, Jesus says that he's leaving. But he says, fear not. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to my Father. See, Jesus' followers had been on a journey. At the very beginning, a number of them had actually been followers not of Jesus. They'd been disciples. Anybody remember back to John chapter 1? They'd been disciples of John the Baptist. They were spiritual seekers. They wanted to, to know God. And John the Baptist actually pointed them towards Jesus and said, follow after this guy. And as they'd followed after Jesus, he had started to speak in terms of not just God as this rule giver, but actually God as his Again and again, actually, this passage is chocked full of Jesus talking about the Father. Now for us, who maybe one of the first things that we learned about God was the prayer that Jesus gave, which begins with the words, say it with me, our Father, we take it for granted. But Jesus' first followers were coming to know God in a different way. They were coming to know God is like a father. God is the father of this guy, of this, fa- this guy that we're following after. That's really amazing. That really changes uh, the, the way that we conceive of God. But now Jesus is saying this. He's not just Jesus' father. He's their father. He says, do not be troubled. Don't be afraid in the midst of the uncertainties of this world because my Father is also your Father. And guess what? If you've been with me, everything that you need to know about the Father, you've been experiencing. He says, my Father has a home that has plenty of room for you. And here's what I fear. Um, I fear that for those of us who are familiar with thinking of God as a father, or maybe for those of us who um, are hearing this word home, and it kind of sounds like squishy, you know, like non-specific language. This is just sort of an abstraction, and it's not at all, guys. The gospel, the good news of what God was doing through Jesus changes everything. And I believe if we could start to to, to really live as if we believed that this was true, that God is our Father who has our best interests in mind, it would change every aspect of our lives, how we make decisions, how we as a church make decisions, how the church lives in the world. We don't have to be afraid. We have a good Father. After over 20 years in ministry, as I look at issues that people have in their lives and why they make the decisions that they make and and, and why they find themselves in certain sorts of patterns, time and again, what I've seen is this. Both a misunderstanding about God as a good father who's there and wants to take care of them and provide for them, but more likely than not, a skewed perception that comes out of, I won't do a deep dive here this morning, out of a relationship with, any guesses? Their own father, right? The fundamental brokenness that I think goes back to the garden 
and to those first two children not trusting their father is that we don't believe that we have a father. We believe that we're orphans and so we behave as if we've got to take care of ourselves. And if that's true, then you should be afraid, right? (laughs) Your hearts should be troubled if it's all up to you. Here's the good news. You have a good father and in his home there is plenty of room for you. A sermon for another time is yes, that home is in eternity. But that home can be experienced right now. If we had continued in the passage, Jesus says later that he and his father are going to come and make their home in us. Okay? Through the Holy Spirit, God wants to make us his home. Again, squishy, abstract language. Not necessarily a a, a very manly sermon, um, but a guy named Ernest Hemingway wrote a story that that I think there are so many stories that speak back to the basic longing of everyone for a father and for what only a, a father can give that gives us a hint of what the true father wants to give to us. It's the story, um, um, Hemingway stories are usually about uh, hunting big game in Africa or bullfighting. This is a bullfighting story. Um, And it takes place in Madrid, Spain, and it's about the relationship between a father and his son, Paco. And Paco wants to be a bullfighter, as young men in Spain would like to be, and the father doesn't agree, and off goes the son. And in many ways, Hemingway is echoing another familiar story that Jesus told. Any resonance with that? And at the end of the story, the father wants to reconcile with the son, and so he puts an advertisement into the newspaper, and this is a long time ago when people read newspapers, and he says, on this day, at this time, I want to meet with you, son. And he says this, all is forgiven, love, papa. And he specifically writes it to his son, Paco. So the day comes, and the father goes to the place. It's a hotel. And he notices he's coming towards the hotel. There's a crowd of young men that are there, and they have two things in common. The first one is that they're all named Paco. (laughs) It's a very common name in Spain. And the second is what? that every single one of them, like all of us, desperately longed to hear from their father, all is forgiven, I want to be with you. This is Jesus' promise to his people 2,000 years ago, even to those followers who were like, don't leave us. He says, it's actually better that I go away. It's better that you don't physically have me here because my father's going to send his very spirit to be with you and that's going to change everything and that is good news. Point one. (laughs) Point two is this. How do I actually live in that truth? Thank you. Uh, I will try to remind myself as I go throughout my week and I'm making a potentially bad decision. I have a father who loves me and hopefully that would be of help to you. But how do you actually live that out? And I think that this gets to Jesus' statement of I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Um, I don't know if the hope in preaching a sermon, a, a sermon series about the I am's of Jesus was um, uh, predominantly uh, uh, about uh, theological doctrine. That's, it's a good series because anything that we need to know about God, Jesus, when he's saying, I am the light of the world, the bread of life, whatever he's saying about himself is teaching us about God. That's a really good thing. Um, and this statement that Jesus makes here and, and many of the sermons that I've heard about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life are not only doctrinal, but they're also, um, uh, to some extent, evangelistic, right? They're to, to speak to, to those who might be following after other ways, specifically other religions, this is our response. Jesus says, I am not a way, the way. And that's absolutely true. And these sorts of doctrines that we need to know about God are so important in our lives. And yet, I don't think those are the things that were going through Jesus' followers' heads 2,000 years ago on that night. And honestly, they're not necessarily the places that I'm living most days. Are there other religions that might also be another option? That might be a question that, that at least your friends are asking. But I think that the question that's presented to each one of us every single day, is Jesus our way? Are we living as if we believe that he is the only way to experience God as Father? And to that, Jesus says this. Don't fear, believe, or maybe even better, trust. Um, may I talk about Greek for a second? It's important. Um, so, uh, the Greek language that this is written in, um, there are, are, are three words that the same word, it's the word that we get epistemology from. Um, epistemology, the study of how we know what we know. Um, it's also the word that we get epistle from. Um, and in John's gospel, usually in the English translations, it's translated as believe. But there's always this other thing attached to it in John's gospel. Believe in, or even better, believe into, which is kind of weird. Um, what's Jesus talking about? Well, there is an aspect of believing all the things that I said about God and him as Father and what he wants to do for us, that there's an intellectual aspect. When I think about the word belief, it usually has to do with my head. Do you believe the right things? And let me say this to you. That there's much about Jesus and the God that he shows us that he's given us minds and we need to do the work. We uh, need to actually know the words that he spoke through scripture. Believe that the scripture is true and, and know these words. And, and, and maybe it's, it's a helpful thing for you in your journey to actually do the, the background historical work. It, it's good, solid stuff that we can have in our heads. And yet, most of us don't live in that way. Um, Jesus says to experience what he's talking about, we need to believe. And we think, maybe I need more, more things tighter in my head in order to believe this. And, and, and yes, it's an important thing to have these things in our head, but I think that there's more that Jesus wants for us. Um, when I got this stool up here, I realized that this stool was a little bit shorter, uh, which means that some of you back there can't see that I've got a stool. Um, and uh, the thing about a stool um, <clears throat> is that a, a stool, uh, by and large, has a purpose, and 
It's to do what? Yeah, thank you. Um, and, I, and, and I wonder whether it's what I've said about God thus far, or even maybe what you hear many times in the sermon, if it's very easy for us to view all of these in the same way that, that, that maybe there's a subconscious process that's going in my mind before I actually sit down in this, and it's that, yes, I believe that someone has engineered this, and that actually four legs are really good in order to offer stability. And, and I believe that were I to sit down in that chair, that chair would, would hold me up. And actually, I've done some, um, uh, some research on the physics of it. I believe it. Isn't that an awesome thing? I might even want to share with other people about um, just the stability of that chair. Okay, And actually, if you believe it, really, really believe it, something might start to happen in your heart. This is the second word that uh, we can translate from that Greek word. And that second word is faith. I actually, I've moved from my head to, to my heart. Um, and I've even written some songs about the stability of if I was to sit down in that chair, on that stool, just what an amazing experience it would be. I want other people to gather around this and us just to say, isn't it awesome? Wouldn't it be great if we were to, to, to sit down there, it's, it's completely reliable. We can show you the physics for it. It's, 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 it's in our hearts. Um, and I don't mean to be sarcastic, but I know that this is so oftentimes true of how I believe. It's my head. It's my heart. And those are very important. But there's that third word, which is also, <laughs> this goes back to the same word in Greek, and it has to do with the actual sitting. <laughs> I was a youth pastor, um, <clears throat> and uh, we would go on youth retreats, and um, the first time I did something like this was on a youth retreat. Um, <clears throat> it's not a great idea. Um, uh, where in order to, to show the, the, the strength and the solidity of your community, you have somebody stand up above a group of people, do you know what I'm talking about? And they, they turn around, and in the first service, it was a, probably a little bit better of a possibility that this was going to work well, but it's going to go very poorly if I, if I actually do this this time. Um, were I to, to fall back right now, and were there a group of people that were there um, to catch me, you would call that a, a trust fall. Jesus is believable, historically, we can know these things. It's very, very true. Jesus wants to speak to our hearts. But I believe ultimately the way that we experience Jesus as the way is trusting Him. Trusting Him by actually, as we know His words, doing the things that He's called us to do. If we have the Holy Spirit inside of us guiding us and, and showing us what it is that he wants us to do by actually trusting that he has our best interests in mind. We say our Father has, has a good place for us and he has a good plan for us. And we feel that. We sing about that. We tell other people about it. It's actually the doing of it. He's called us to do... What's going on behind me? Oh. ADHD. It's a, it's a real condition. Um... And now it's gone. He wants us to trust him. <sighs> Jesus um, is the way. Okay? 
and he has made the way. And his death on the cross was the way that made it possible for us to experience what God the Father has for us. Absolutely believe that in your head. Have faith in that in your heart. But my encouragement to each one of us is that we would entrust ourselves to him as a person. See, Jesus is the way, not just as a place, but ultimately as we know him relationally. And the only way to know anyone relationally is by trusting. By trusting. And I wonder what it is for us, especially those of us who may have followed Jesus for a while now, that in order to really know him as the way, what it is that he's calling us, empowering us if we will let him, giving us a taste of of the experience of his presence with us if we would just trust in him. Hold on to that. Because that's going to be my application. But the third thing, and this is my final thing, is this. Do not fear. You have a good father. Trust yourself to him and what he's called you to do, what he has done for you. You come to know him better as as you're you're living in that tension day in, day out. All of the, the words I've been saying thus far largely are on an individual basis. But Jesus is speaking in the text that we just read, and I believe he's speaking this morning. Yes, to you individually, because you're the only one that can actually respond for yourself. But he's speaking to his people. And the framework of everything that these and Jesus is basically uh, John's version of the Great Commission as he's sending out his people, beginning at the very beginning by saying in, in, uh, at the Passover meal, Here's the plan. Here's what I want you to do. Wash each other's feet. And in verse 34, anybody still have a Bible open? Verse 34. Guy in the third row on my left, uh, you have volunteered yourself. Um, What what does he say there in uh, verse uh, 34 of, of chapter 13? Yeah. Of John. And what's the next verse after that? Can you read that again? And maybe even a little louder? Friends, you individually have a father, an Abba, a daddy who loves you. That's amazing. He has your best interest in mind. Entrust yourself to Jesus. He has everything and the, 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 the plan for you, both what he did 2,000 years ago and what he wants to do in your life today. But friends, where it all comes together, and again and again we'll see throughout chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and at the very end, Jesus keeps coming back to and love each other. And as you are loving each other, yes, it's a good thing for the people in God's family, but it also proves to the world and becomes, I believe, ultimately a light, a light to our neighbors who are searching for home, a light to our neighbors who are lost, who are making bad decisions, 
who maybe have spent some time in church where they had some sort of abstract notions about God but never actually came to know Him in a personal way. As we love each other, it all comes together. That's the thing that I believe will make sense of it for us as the followers of Jesus. Again, not just Jesus loves me and that is good for me, but Jesus loves me and his spirit has come to live inside of me and he wants to empower me to love the person that's next to me. And as I love the person that's next to me, and sometimes I don't want to love the person that's next to me, that love that we have for each other starts to create a home and it creates something that we can see and something that your friends and your neighbors and those that God brings into your life desperately need to see. Where does this actually impact you tomorrow? Um, <clears throat> I've been thinking <laughs> a lot about these verses over the last week. And I'm not interested in uh, you guys remembering the three words, fear, trust, love. I don't really care if you remember those. <laughs> Um, but I do long for you to live as if each one of these is true and to let them impact your lives, but I need it for my own life as well. When we think about the application of a sermon like this, what exactly do I send you out with? Um, one practical thing, I didn't say this in the last uh, sermon, um, but I would highly recommend um, if you don't have a, a daily habit of reading the scripture, that John 13 through 17 over the next week, you either make your way through it slowly or you can kind of take it all in in about 25 minutes. Um, spend some time in there because there's so much that's in there and there's so much that will speak to your minds and to your intellect and will hopefully stir your hearts that might give you some indication of what you need to trust Jesus with. There's one application but here's the main application I've had for myself. Um, <clears throat> I believe all these things that I've been saying. Um, but I also believe that Jesus has been speaking by his spirit to me in very specific ways over this last week about things that he wants me to do. Okay? He speaks through his word. He speaks through the spirit. And if we're followers of Jesus, he's always speaking. He's always leading us into deeper ways of knowing him more. And I believe that the, the way that he's calling me to know him better and to experience that the Father is trustworthy by actually trusting him with one specific thing that he's asking me to do this week. I won't share it with you right now. Everybody, I'm guessing, has maybe their own thing that they've been hearing from him. And I wonder what the last thing that you heard from Jesus whether it was from last week's sermon that there was some sort of a, an application that really struck you, or maybe it was in a devotional last week, you're like, I really need to do something about it. And I guess my question is, did you? <laughs> did you actually trust him? Um, did you actually step into the thing that, that you sensed that he was calling you to, to do? I, I grew up um, in, well, initially a Baptist church, and then in Baptist sorts of churches. Um, and there was a song uh, that we sang that some, you guys are young. I don't know, and I don't think that you guys play it too often here. Um, but it's a good one. And it's one that's been going through my mind all week, and it's the thing I want to leave you with. 
Um, do, you, do you know the song that might be coming to my mind? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. I want to be happy, to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Those things we long for, the peace that is there offered to us comes in obedience. Here's my sense. Whether you're not yet a follower of Jesus, trust yourself to him. Take that step of obedience towards him. Or if you've been following him after him for a very long time and there's this, this one place that you're just not sure if you really do want to trust him with, and I don't know what it is for you, I know what it is for me. I believe that as we do these things, we will experience him more as he promised he was, the way, the truth, reality itself, and life itself. We can experience that home that we long for, both individually and also together, for our own blessing, and ultimately, I believe, for the blessing and the renewal of our city. As we live in this way, as we entrust ourselves to Jesus, he's renewing us, and as he renews this church, he uses us to renew this city until we get to that final city, that final home, where we will truly be at peace, where we can truly be secure, where we won't have to listen to any more sermons like this. <laughs> can I get an amen? Um, let me pray over us. Father God, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to get involved in the brokenness and the lostness of this world. And I pray this morning, especially as we get ready for the communion table, that what Jesus did on our behalf, we would have a new understanding that it was out of his great love for us that he laid down his life for us, that he took on the consequences of our waywardness, that he was willing to leave his home, willing to, to actually experience separation from the Father so that we would not have to. I pray, Holy Spirit, that whatever it was that was said this morning that would be beneficial for us and beneficial for this community and that would bring you glory, that you would apply those truths to our hearts. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the home that you've invited us to. We pray it in the good and the strong name of Jesus. Amen.